Erin Davis is a writer and teacher passionately committed to getting women of all ages to the deep well of God's word. She is the author of more than a dozen books and Bible studies, including Connected, Seven Feasts, and Fasting and Feasting. Erin serves as the content director for Revive Our Hearts and hosts the Women of the Bible podcast and Grounded Videocast. You can hear her teach on the Deep Well with Erin Davis podcast. When she's not writing, you can find Erin chasing chickens and children on her small farm in the Midwest. Erin, we're so glad you're here. Come and share with us. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I consider it a great honor. Um, I've been imagining this moment for a lot of months. And you're here, and I'm here, and it's going to be great. Uh, As Emily shared with you, I uh, live on a little farm in Missouri. Who's ever been to Missouri? It's about, oh, more than usual. Yep. I live on a small farm in Missouri. uh, And on that small farm in Missouri right now, my family is, which includes one husband, Jason, and four sons. So I am the only woman uh, in a household of five men. So when people call me or email me or message me and say, will you come to our women's conference? It's a super easy yes. (laughs) I get to be away for a couple days. I miss them terribly, but you can pray for me. Can you imagine what happens to my house? in 48 hours of me being gone. It gets bad, bad, in a hurry. And I walk in and they always, with such earnest faces, they always say, we cleaned, doesn't it look great? And I'm like, no, it's terrible. But I don't say that, I hope. Um, In reality, it's not just being among people who speak my language, estrogenese, you all speak my language, that can pull me away from a weekend at home on my farm. I would love to be with my people right now, but Um, They know, and I know, and I hope you know, that I would only step away from those responsibilities to do the thing that God's called me to do, which is to hold high his word. So if you brought your Bible, grab it. If you didn't bring your Bible and you're feeling panicked, don't panic. There's a whole Bible in your phone of whatever translation that you might want, and we're going to open our Bibles there together. My littlest one, Ezra, he's four, and my second littlest one, Judah, he's nine, Uh, They never want me to go. I have two teenagers. They're kind of over it by now. But the little two, they never want me to go. And so we always have this moment where I get down right in their little faces. I don't want you to go, Mama. I don't want you to go. And I always say, what What is the only thing that could ever pull Mama away from you? Teaching the Bible. And they're right. So I'm so grateful that I get to do this. I do feel like I should give you a disclaimer. I might say something good this weekend. I might not. I'm going to give myself 50-50 odds. I don't know how it's going to go. But you are in very good hands because by the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word is going to hit its mark. And that's your heart. I hope you didn't come here because you thought Aaron Davis could change your life. I cannot. Don't have it in me. But God can. He wants to. He's going to do the hard work this weekend. I've seen him do it over and over again. So uh, I'm going to ask him to do it. Jesus, we love you and you love us. And yet, we're sinners in a broken world. And so we can get off track in a million different ways. So I pray that you would use this time that we have together this weekend to recalibrate our hearts. That might look different for each of us, God. But we want to hear your voice. We want to obey. We want your word to be fresh to us, God. So 
I know those are things that you delight to do and only you can do. So I ask that you would do it. It's in your name I pray, amen. Well, it's Friday night. There's two sessions every speaker dreads, Friday night and the after lunch uh, session. And we kind of combined them here. I'm glad they didn't give us the white chocolate bread pudding before we came in here. It'd be hard to stay awake. But I'm guessing for the reason Friday night stuff is because I'm guessing your mind is still on a zillion things that were going on when you headed this way. You might be wondering, will they actually eat the dinner that you left in the crock pot or are they going to have pop tarts for dinner? Let me just tell you, that food in the crock pot is still going to be there. It's going to be all burnt up and they will have eaten whatever they wanted for dinner if your house is like mine. You might feel anxious about those responsibilities you left behind. I don't take for granted that for a woman to separate herself, even for a couple days or a day and a half, is a sacrifice. I was teaching at an event in Alabama a couple years ago, and I was, they were doing something else, and I was sitting in the back behind the sanctuary, and these women kept coming out, and they'd get a call on their phone, and every single one of them would step out of the door and go, is he, are you okay? Is everybody okay? And it's, we just are worried. We're just worried we're going to get the call, right? And so everybody was okay, I think. But um, I understand that you probably have all of that swirling, and we don't just switch gears necessarily because this was on the calendar but I also believe it's always worth it. I love that we call these things retreat. For me, the images uh, of us in a battle at war, which of course we are, and the general goes, retreat! And we all kind of pull back behind enemy lines for a little bit. We regroup, we remember what we're fighting for, and we don't get to stay in the huddle. We're gonna go back into the battle tomorrow. But God calls us into this time just to, to remember who he is and what he's called us to do. And I'm very aware that as I teach women, sometimes you come to an event like this, sometimes I come to an event like this, and we want to walk out with a to-do list. We want more ways to be a good wife, to be a good mama, to be a good daughter, to be a good sister, to be a good friend, to be a good woman. There's just something in us that wants to be pleasing, and I get that. But I'm guessing that like me, your to-do list is already pretty long. I always say I have more due than day. Uh, I, I keep asking the Lord for 25-hour days. So far, he hasn't given them to me in his mercy because if he gave me a 25-hour day, then I would want a 26-hour day. And he gave me a 26-hour day, I'd want a 30-hour day. So fortunately, he gives us limits. But I want you to know that I didn't come all this way to give you a to-do list and to give you more things to try harder at. I'm not gonna encourage you to rub any elbow grease into anything. I'm here alongside you, woman to woman, so that we can ask together what does God want to do in our hearts this weekend. I don't give God an agenda. That's not how it works. And I don't know what you need to hear from him, but he knows what you need to hear from him. And it's not going to be do more, try harder. That's not the spirit of the gospel. I love it when I get a whole weekend versus just one opportunity to teach. We can really park in an area of scripture. And this weekend, we're going to park in Psalm 92. So you can go ahead and mosey your way there. It's pretty easy to find. Should be pretty close to the middle of your Bible. I had mine marked and I still couldn't quite find it. I know some of you can only be here tonight. um, So your homework is to soak in Psalm 92. We're just going to cover a couple verses of it tonight. We're going to cover the whole Psalm tomorrow. And Psalm 92 is a chapter of scripture that has really arrested my life for about 18 months. I just 
sat in it and read it and reread it. Now, I, I have graduated. I am now spending time in Psalm 91, so I've gravitated just a little bit to the left. But for a lot of reasons, and I'm sure God's done this in your life. He's so consistent. For a lot of reasons, I just felt like the Lord drew me to Psalm 92 and just let me sit in it for day after day, week after week, month after month. And when your ladies' ministry team let me know what topic they had in mind. I was like, oh, can we do Psalm 92? Um, Because it is just so rich, and I think it so speaks to our lives here. So we're just going to set the tone tonight. We're just going to look at verses 12 through 13, and then like I said, tomorrow we're going to deep dive into the whole psalm. So for now, let me read us Psalm 92, verses 12 through 13. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. I'm going to read it again. If you're a writing your Bible kind of girl, and I hope you are, um, at least take note of how many times that word flourish is mentioned just in these couple of verses. The righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. This whole psalm is really about God's people flourishing. The Bible is, among other things, a farmer's almanac. And there's a picture here that the psalmist is painting for us of a tree. He says it's a palm tree, to be specific, or a cedar. He talks about the cedars of Lebanon. Well, I haven't seen the cedars of Lebanon, but I have seen palm trees. They're really, really tall, right? And gigantic trunk and just those beautiful palm fronds at the top. And the cedars of Lebanon are even more impressive. Scripture, when it mentions the cedars of Lebanon, which it does often, it's always supposed to be this this symbolic picture of strength. Let me just read you one example. You don't have to turn there. I have it right here. But Psalm 104, 16. The trees of the Lord are watered abundantly, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. So here where the psalmist is telling us that God's people flourish like palm trees and like cedars of Lebanon, these are not tiny little saplings. These are these massively huge, majestic trees. They're strong. And one thing that's always true about strong trees is that they have very strong, very deep roots. My friend Marge owns a greenery uh, greenhouse, and she says, almost without exception— The plants that you see above the ground will have a mirror image below the ground in their root system. So if you see a four-foot tree, it probably has a four-foot root system. If it has branches that go wide, it probably has a root system that goes wide. And so the psalmist here is describing these massive trees, and they have to be deeply rooted, and it's telling us that these are flourishing trees and that they've been planted by the Lord. Let's go back to Psalm 92. The psalmist said they, he's talking about the righteous there. So he's talking about those of us who know God. And this passage really gives us a vision for what the lives of those of us who are in Christ should look like. And the word the psalmist chooses is flourish. God's people should have flourishing lives, is what the psalmist is telling us. Now I just met you, but I'm confident that every single woman in this room wants to flourish. That's a desire you have. And you don't just want you to flourish. You want your kids to flourish. You want your grandchildren to flourish. You want your church to flourish. You want your friends to flourish. You want your community to flourish. You don't just want to flail. 
You don't just want to be in survival mode. Nobody likes that feeling that you have just enough above water to breathe, but mostly you're underwater. And Scripture's telling us that the lives of the righteous should be flourishing like these gigantic trees in the Middle East. To help us consider what that actually looks like, I'm going to make a little marriage confession. You ready? I've been married to Jason Davis for 22 years. He's six foot two, very bearded, very manly. And uh, we agree on most things. We do not agree on everything. For example, we do not agree on when you should put gas in the car. (laughs) Jason Davis thinks that anything under three quarters of a tank requires a fill-up. I have a different philosophy. I think that when the fuel light comes on, I have exactly 30 miles left to go. And so when that fuel light comes on, I reset my odometer, and it's kind of a game. I like to get it to the one to two mile mark before I go fill up. Have I run out of gas? Yes, I have. Has my husband had to ride in on a white horse? Not literally, but and save me? Yes, he has. Has he given me a hard time? No, he hasn't, because I'm not going to change. We've been married 22 years. I'm not going to start filling up my car. Now, let me paint the total picture for you. We have four sons, four to 14. So you can imagine those four sons come with like 11 billion basketballs and 100 million catcher's mitts and hockey sticks and cleats and So we drive one of those 12 passenger Ford Transit vans. Very, very sexy car. And we call it the Boymobile. Big white Boymobile. First time we drove it to church, my friend Bonnie was in the parking lot. She said, subtle, Davis, is real subtle. <laughs> so I want you to picture that giant boymobile and the fact that I like to run that out of the gas because that thing can f- flat burn through some fuel. And so I got to know who my people are. Who, who never lets it go below half a tank? Okay, I don't understand you, but we can still be friends. Who ascribes to the how low can I go model of gas? Okay, me too. It's always good to know who my people are. So I want you to have that picture in your mind of, I'm just going to fiddle with this microphone all weekend. It's going to be fine. Um, I want you to have that picture in your mind of my big old boy mobile, full of kids, making noise, definitely hitting each other. Sometimes I will say nose to knees until we hit two stoplights. Because they have to put their noses on the knees. But imagine all that's going on. And I just barely get to the gas station. I coast in on fumes. Because that is the state I found myself in several years ago, a couple years ago. And beyond that, that is the state that I find so many of my Christian sisters to be in just barely coasting on whatever fumes are left in the tank. Are you still in Christ? Of course you are. It's grace alone through faith alone, period. This has nothing to do with our eternal security. But was Christ's intention that we would be a bunch of women just barely getting through life on the fumes in our tank? it can start to feel so normal. It can start to feel like all women are just barely getting by. We're all coasting. And yet if we take God at his word here in Psalm 92, 
the, the, the lives of those of us who are in Christ are not supposed to be marked by the fact that we're just surviving. They're not supposed to be marked by the fact that we're getting through on fumes and oh, we made it to through another week. No, according to the psalmist's words, which are inspired by the Holy Spirit and preserved for us to read and learn from today, our lives are supposed to be marked by flourishing. A year ago, I was totally out of gas. I'm not talking about the boy mobile. And I'd been out of gas for a long time. I think one of the things we have to reconcile with the pandemic that shall not be named is that we got through it, but we didn't get through it unscathed. And now the whole world is just trying to move on. But a lot of us don't have any gas in the tank. I was physically exhausted. You've known me for about 15 minutes. You can probably assess my personality. Yes, I am a firstborn. And no, I'm not type A. I'm type double A. <laughs> so I go, 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 go. And I like it that way. But I was physically exhausted. That's putting it mildly. In fact, several of my organs were failing. I'll tell you more about that soon. Emotionally, my tank was empty, which for me doesn't look like me being depressed. It doesn't look like me being anxious. It just makes, looks like me being flatlined. Spiritually, I was coasting on fumes from better days. And listen, you can do that. You can just hop from spiritual high to spiritual high. But that lesson that God taught his people in the wilderness about manna, about God feeding ourselves with what God provides us today and not trying to store it up for the next day. That speaks into our lives now. And spiritually, you know if you're just coasting on when you actually had more consistent time with the Lord or when you actually were involved in church or when you actually were spending your time worshiping or whatever it was, I was coasting on fumes. Now, I don't want to assume that everyone in this room is coasting on fumes. Some of you might not be. Some of you, spiritually speaking, are full tank people, and I so admire that and want to be more like that. And you should tell us how you do that, because there are many of us who want to learn how to do that. That's not my speed. I tend to go and go and go until I can't go any longer. I've always been that way. My mom calls it my wall. She said, I just go and go and go, and I hit the wall. I have to rely on other people to tell me when I'm out over my skis, because I, I don't know it. Everything seems fine to me, but everything wasn't fine. And you know what? If you resist the warning signs that you're on fumes long enough, you won't recognize that you're on fumes either. But this year has not been an easy year. It has been the year, however, that after 40 plus years of life and 25 plus years of walking with Jesus, I am learning how to flourish. I can tell you, my tank is full. And God has used Psalm 92 like a spiritual gas station. Just keep coming and filling up, keep coming and filling up, keep coming and filling up, keep coming and filling up to teach me how to live the flourishing life. And I hope he does the same for you.
I'm going to give you a little bit of homework. I'm a big believer that whoever's doing the work is doing the learning, so I didn't just come here with a USB chip to plug in my, all my information to you. Uh, I want you to look at Psalm 92. I'll give you the cue here in a minute. I just want you to huddle up for a second and take a few minutes to walk through this psalm. And I want you to do it just with the people around you. All the introverts in the room just died a little bit. It's okay. All the extroverts are going to do all the talking, so you don't have to worry. But you're just going to work through this verse. It's only this chapter. It's only 15 verses. And I want you to just make observations. No interpretation, no application. Because in order to rightly apply scripture, we have to rightly observe. Now that takes a little bit of the brakes. Because what we want to do is we want to read it and apply it. We're not going to apply it yet. You're just going to make observations. What is God trying to teach us through Psalm 92? You don't have to write anything down unless you want to. There will be no quiz. But I just want you, I'm going to give you five minutes, huddle up and make some observations about Psalm 92. Go ahead. All right. Tell me what you saw. You don't need a microphone. Just loud and proud. Somebody holler out an observation from Psalm 92. Go ahead. What? Fresh oil. Fresh oil. Yeah. What's another observation? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord right. He is faithful. What else? What did you see? Give thanks. Give thanks. Yep. It's a command. What? His word is great. He is my rock. The student what? The stupid man cannot know, right? Absolutely. Full of green and sap. We're going to talk about that tomorrow. What else? Yeah. He gives us a rhythm there for our lives. What else did you see? Evildoers flourish too, right? Yeah, you're, you're giving me a frowny face. I get it. And it won't always be true, but it is true now. What else? Yep, it's a temporary flourishing. The Lord is on high That's right. The Lord is on high forevermore. Good observation. He alone is our refuge. Good. I will sing for joy. We're going to talk about singing tomorrow. Anything else? Declare his love in the morning, in the morning and his steadfast, steadfast faithfulness at night, right? Okay, good. Let me, you can go back to your seats if you're scooted. I'm going to read us verses 12 through 13 again. With all of that context in mind, every text is a part of the context. So that took us actually less than five minutes to get the lay of the land about what the psalmist was talking about. So with all of that context in mind, listen to verses 12 through 13 again. The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. What we have here is a thesis statement, something that is true. And the psalmist is telling us, his thesis is that the Christian life, now this is Old Testament, so I'm using modern language, the Christian life, he's talking about those who follow God, but the Christian life is a life of flourishing. Now, if you have a little bit inside of you now that's going, is, she, is this health and wealth stuff? That's good. I'm glad that you have that. Because this isn't health and wealth. It's good to know your whole Bible. You could easily take out Psalm 92, 12 through 13 and go, see, God wants me to be happy. It says it right here. This is, he's wanting me to be wealthy. He's good. It's not. You got to know your whole Bible. 
Jesus told us we were going to have troubles. He called us to pick up our cross. He warned us that there's an enemy who's always going to be trying to take us out. So scripture's call to the flourishing life is not the same as a call to an easy life. Where are my gardeners? I know there's some of you here. We are few but mighty. You need to befriend a gardener because we will bring you fresh tomatoes and it's in July in Missouri. I don't know when it is here. Don't get me started on gardening. I'll never shut up. We've had two warm days in Missouri and I have plotted my whole garden in those two warm days. Like I just can't wait. Um, But here's one thing I know for sure from gardening. The plants that never face any resistance will not make it. You can plant those little seeds and you can put them on your counter. You can put them in your greenhouse all you want. And if you don't ever put any wind on those little seedlings, you put them in the ground, they're going to die. And the same is true for us. It's one of the many ways that the Christian life makes no sense to those who are outside of the, out of Christ, is that we are not strictly seeking a life of comfort. I often need to remind myself that lost people are going to act like lost people. Why wouldn't they? Of course they are going to seek comfort. Any comfort they can find. We are not comfort seekers. We are. But we know that our ultimate comfort is not earthly comfort. Our goal is not easy. And yet God's word is telling us here in this psalm that despite all of the challenges, despite being broken people on a broken planet, somehow God's people flourish. And if God's word says it, I believe it. And if the psalmist said that the righteous will flourish and I'm not flourishing, or some area of my life is not flourishing, Or my life looks like a weak and anemic plant that hasn't been watered in a while. Sure, it's still alive. That's like a warning dash, warning light on the dash of your car. Now, since I know how many of you don't like to get fuel, I have a guess how many of you pay attention to the warning dash on your car. I like to put a little post-it note over it and just ignore it. But by the power of his Holy Spirit, God often puts blinking lights on the dash of our lives. And we ignore them. Or we wait until we have no gas in the tank to pay attention. And God has used these couple of verses to do such a profound work in my life. To pay attention to when I'm not flourishing. Because the righteous should flourish like a palm tree, like the cedars of Lebanon. I'm going to walk us through a list. If you don't already have your notebook out and a pen, you might want to just jot some of these things down. This is a checklist, not a to-do list, but a checklist that this is totally between you and the Lord. And uh, I'm sure you've noticed that God doesn't operate on our timetable. It's not like he answers to me and is going to drop something into your heart at 737 on Friday night because I'm talking about it. This might be something he brings to mind years from now. But these are some areas that I'd love you to think through over the course of this weekend and beyond and just have the Lord reveal to you, are you flourishing here? Are you flourishing in your study of God's word? Now, I know women have seasons. I know how challenging this can be in different seasons. And as I said before, I am not here to heap guilt or to-dos. But so much of the rest of our lives, and if we're flourishing in the rest of our lives, starts here. Are you 
regularly and meaningfully spending time in the Word of God. I've met some of you BSF ladies, so glad to meet you. I've told some of you that when I teach in a church where there's BSF, I know it and nobody has to tell me. Because those women are flourishing in their time in God's word and that, like a plant, sends sends out branches in other areas of their life. So there you go. Are you flourishing in your study of God's word? Are you flourishing in your relationship with other Christians? Our relationships with each other, church, are to be distinctly different from our relationships with the lost and lost relationships with each other doesn't mean they're perfect or effortless. We see plenty of evidence of that in the, in the epistles. But if you are disconnected from the body of Christ, I can't remember who said it, but somebody said a lonely person in a church is an emergency, and it is. One of the things that the pandemic, which shall not be named, has done for us is it's disrupted our social patterns. And some of us have gotten very good at being antisocial. If you're disconnected from other Christians, you're not flourishing. Your job, are you flourishing at work? Scripture gives us reason to think that even when you are serving under a bad boss in a job you hate, you can still flourish. Non-Christians can't. But those of us who know that we are to work hard as if working for the Lord can be flourishing no matter what our job title is. Is your church flourishing? I know there's lots of different churches represented here. The landscape of churches in America is interesting. And it's important that we distinguish because what's happening among God's people in America is not a reflection of what's happening around the world. The greatest revival happening on the globe right now is happening in Iran. People are coming to Christ by the tens of thousands in Iran and probably in Afghanistan. We don't know because the country's gone dark. No news is getting in or out. But before, right when the Taliban took over, many of our Christian brothers and sisters chose to stay so that they could share Christ with the Taliban and with the lost people in Afghanistan. So God's, God's doing many things around the world that are not reflective of what he's doing here. But many churches are not flourishing. Is yours? Is your community flourishing? Are your children and your grandchildren flourishing? Now, I do know that you are not responsible for the choices your children and grandchildren make. But I also know that a woman who's flourishing that has impact on the people that she's connected to. My husband and I both work for the Ministry of Revive Our Hearts. He is, he is a big old burly man, but he's also the biggest crybaby in the whole world. And if you said, Jason, what do you do for a living? He'd say, I change the world. And you'd say, oh, that's sweet. What do you really do? And he'd say, I work at Revive Our Hearts. And we teach women to know and love God's word. And when a woman knows and loves God's word, her marriage is transformed And when her marriage is transformed, her children are transformed. That's when big old crocodile tears start to form in his eyes. And he says, when her children children are transformed, her community is transformed. And when her community is transformed, our world is transformed. So I changed the world. So women, we do, we are a thermostat of sorts for if our families are flourishing. I never know that I'm overextended until my children start being like alarms, like what? Why is everybody melting down? Why is everybody sick? Oh, it's because we are doing too many things and we are not flourishing. 
What about your prayer life? Is your prayer life flourishing? I have a confession. Prayer's tough for me. I know I'm supposed to pray without ceasing. I know that I pray and God listens, but I am nowhere near a prayer warrior. I've been in the Lord's army for a quarter century and I've never been promoted in my prayer life. But I want to have a flourishing prayer life. My pastor is all the time telling us, pray to want to, pray to want to, pray to want to. So I would consider that flourishing if you want to have a flourishing prayer life. What about your health? Is your health flourishing? Now, I know this gets to be tricky business because these bodies are outwardly wasting away. Paul told us that. And none of us are going to get out of here alive, so there will be deterioration. But this is where Psalm 92 took root for me. At the age of 42, I was in a full-fledged, very scary health crisis. I was in renal failure and heart failure. And I had to face the fact that I had been ignoring every blinking light on the dash of my life. And that I had not been physically flourishing for a very, very long time. And my choices were, and I don't think I'm being overdramatic. I don't think my cardiologist would tell you I'm being overdramatic. My choices were, to learn what it looked like to physically flourish or to die in my 40s. And I had to face, I hope this hits home for some of you, the pride that existed inside of me that I thought I was the one woman on the planet that didn't have to rest. I thought I was the one woman on the planet that didn't have to exercise. I thought I was the one woman on the planet that didn't have to eat vegetables. I actually like vegetables, but. But I have good news. I'm learning how to flourish. Are you? Now, of course, there are things that we cannot prevent when it comes to our bodies. But now that I'm aware of it, what I see is that very many of us who love Jesus and want to serve him put ourselves on the bench by not taking care of our bodies. It is hard to serve the Lord when you hurt all the time. It's hard to serve the Lord when you're sick all the time. And so God used me reading Psalm 92 to go, okay, God, show me what it means to flourish. What about your friendships? We touched on that a little bit earlier. How about your thought life? Everything can seem to be flourishing on the outside and your mind can be like the inside of a washing machine. How about your emotions? And would you describe your relationship with the Lord as flourishing? Now this takes time. You have to check in. You have to slow down. You have to be honest. But as I've been talking, if God has been already working to point to an area of your life where you can honestly say you're not flourishing, you need to know that's him, that's not me, and that it's a profound mercy. One of my buddies got caught doing something he wasn't supposed to a couple weeks ago. I won't tell you which one or which, which thing he did, but we were having this tough conversation. And his eyes were red and our eyes were red. It wasn't, it wasn't a good parenting moment, except it was. I said, buddy, the Lord didn't get, let you get away with that. He exposed it. And this boy was so crushed and embarrassed. And I said, what a profound mercy 
that the Lord didn't let you hide that. And if tonight or the course of this weekend or 10 years from now, the Holy Spirit puts his finger on an area of your life and says, hey, 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 this part isn't flourishing. His intent is not to squash you. His intent is not to make you try harder or do more. When my boys get a splinter, their daddy has to take it out, right? He uses a giant knife. I know he could use a needle, but he like flips over this giant knife. And they're like, mama, mama, don't let him do it. And we always have the same talk. Buddy, 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 buddy. Daddy has to get it out. Because if daddy doesn't get it out, it's going to fester. It's going to get infected and you're going to get really sick. Daddy's only doing what's best for you. And it's over. By the time I give him that speech, it's over. And when the Lord exposes areas of our life where we're not flourishing, it's to take the splinter out so that it doesn't fester. God wants you to flourish. How did I get all of that from one psalm? Well, there's John 10.10 for one thing, where Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. You know this. We live in a culture of death. And Jesus came in a culture of death. The other part of that verse is that the enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy. And Jesus said, but I came to give them abundant, flourishing life. That's plant language language again. Abundance, a bumper crop, more than enough is what Jesus was saying he came to give us. Jesus described God's gift to us this way in Luke 7, 38, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, put into your lap. Again, that's agrarian language. He's talking about a wine press, grapes being pressed down and running over, flourishing, fruitfulness, Ephesians 1.8 tells us the riches of God's grace have been lavished on us. It's this idea of just like over the top goodness. Again, the picture of what God has for us is bountiful, generous. He's calling us to a life of thriving. Now for those of us who value deep theology, there can be some reflexes here. We're resistant, like really, really? Did God really come to give me a flourishing life? But these aren't warm fuzzies. There's this reality that we have everything. We have Jesus as our Savior. We have the Holy Spirit living inside of us. We have the church to equip and challenge us. We have the Word of God to speak to us. We have a mission to tell a lost and dying world that there is a good king and they can be rescued from sin and death. We have all of that in Christ. And all of that should equate to flourishing. Women, it's really hard to be salt and light when you're barely getting by. It's really hard to woo others to the fountain of living water when you are barely above water yourself. I have a hat that says struggle bus driver. I had it made. Because I would say, not only am I on the struggle bus, I am the driver of the struggle bus. Now, if you see the Davis family roll up to church 15 minutes late, one of the kids doesn't have shoes, nobody's hair is laying down, you might go, yeah, that's a good hat. But I stopped wearing it because actually, I'm not on the struggle bus. Actually, I'm a cedar of Lebanon, a palm tree of the Lord that somehow by the flourishing of my life, we're going to talk about what's at stake tomorrow, but somehow by the flourishing of my life, 
I'm supposed to communicate a message to others. I know some of us in this room are walking through dark valleys and this can feel hard to swallow. And though Psalm 92 has marked my life lately, the other thing that has marked my life lately is my mom's journey through Alzheimer's. She's young, she's in her mid-60s, and she's been fighting that horrible disease since her mid-50s, and I know it's like when you buy a car and suddenly you see that car all over the road, that's how dementia is for me. I know in a room this size that some of you are walking this and many of you have walked it. It is a horrible disease. It is impossible for me to describe both how spectacular and amazing my mom was before her disease and how sick it is and horrific her progression has been. Yet, so I'm not coming to you as somebody who's currently walking through something easy. And we don't need to compare notes. We all have hard things. But, but I can honestly stand before you and tell you that even in the midst of the valley of the shadow of death, it's possible to flourish. The early years of that disease it's when I got so sick. It was when my head was barely above water. It was when I, was, I couldn't figure out how to have time with the Lord. I, I, I was getting myself to church, but I couldn't remember what the sermon was about. I, I, of course I was still in Christ. But I wasn't flourishing. And now the disease is still horrific. It's taking more from her every day. And if you've walked it, you know, it's like I go to her funeral several times a week because that woman in the wheelchair is not my mom. I don't know who she is. She's not my mom, but even in the midst of this horrific journey that is taking forever, and the hard part is I know that it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse, and the way that it ends is by burying my mom. I'm flourishing. My tank isn't empty. I'm not wilting. I'm not dying on the vine. I'm not white knuckling my way to glory. I'm flourishing. That's the supernatural work of Jesus in me. I've been saying for about a year, and I mean it, man, it's true. We're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and there's gold embedded in the walls. I can't explain it. But God is using it to, to transform those of us who are walking with her in ways that is a witness. This is going to sound weird, but in many ways, I can't wait for her funeral because we are going to stand in front of grieving people before we put one of the greatest lights in our life in the ground and we are going to show them that it's possible to flourish because of Jesus. And so this weekend is really a call to the flourishing life. Are you flourishing? Some of you didn't want to come. Some of you crawled in here on your hands and knees, emotionally speaking. Some of you have an incredibly empty tank. 
and you have no idea how to fill it up again. God's had this date on his calendar for you for a long time. I have a friend named Kathy. Everybody needs a Kathy. And Kathy and I were, she'll find you in the grocery store. And just, here comes Kathy and she'll be like, I have a word of the Lord for you. you, Are you ready? I'm like, yes, Kathy. I'm always ready. Give it to me. She did that to me not long ago. She called. I said, hey, Kathy, how are you doing? She said, I have a word of the Lord for you. Are you ready? I was like, yeah, give it to me. She said, here it is. Three words. He is able. She was right. She and I were having lunch not long ago, and we put our hands together across the table, and she began to pray, and she said, Lord, thank you for this envelope of time. You've tucked Aaron and I into this envelope of time, and that's what he's done for us. He, he, on his divine calendar, knows if you're flourishing or not. He knows where you're flourishing and where you're not. He knows if your tank is empty and if it's full. And if you are, have a full tank, then you get to, we're going to siphon off of you, the rest of us, for the weekend. And, and he's calling us to flourish. I hope you're paying attention to what's uh, happening. It started at Asbury University last Wednesday. It's a university in Kentucky, and if you know your revival history, uh, it's a place where revival has happened many times. In the 70s, a revival broke out in that same university, and it started to spread to neighboring universities, and it became a part of the Jesus movement. And God began stirring people's hearts, and, and I know people who were affected by that 1970 revival, and they've been asking the Lord to do it again through the 70s, through the 80s, through the 90s, to the 2000s, the 2010s, and wherever we are now, for decades. They've been saying, Lord, please send revival. And in a chapel service about 10 days ago, just a regular chapel service, nothing special planned. They didn't play that music extra long. They didn't drub up any emotion. The Holy Spirit started doing something. And students began to come forward and repent, and they are still in that chapel service 10 days later. It hasn't stopped. They stay all night long and pray and confess and ask forgiveness of each other. It's true revival. And true revival never stays in one place. If you've been paying attention to any news outlet, now Fox News is starting to pay attention to it. Secular news stations are starting to go, what's happening? Now at least four other universities have ongoing chapels. It's revival. It's happening. Revival is for God's people. Now people get saved as a result of revivals. Many young people, I'm sure, are gonna surrender their lives to ministry as a result of this revival. But if your picture revival is primarily people coming to Jesus, that's not what revival is. You have to be alive first to be revived. And you know what I've had to do many times since this started? I work for Revive Our Hearts. (laughs) We pray for revival weekly, daily, on our knees. We beg God to do it in our day. As the darkness gets darker and darker, we cry out, revive us, revive us, revive us. And as revival started to break out in Kentucky, I've had to say so many times, oh, me of little faith, I didn't think you were going to do it. I didn't think I was going to see revival with my own eyes. I thought America was too far gone. 
She's not. We are not. But revival has to start with God's people. Revival is taking an area of your heart or life that isn't flourishing and God in his goodness taking the splinter out. And so I'm going to give you just a couple minutes to pray on your own. We're not going to play music because I don't know how to play music and you don't want me to sing. But I made a vow to the Lord several years ago and don't make a vow to the Lord unless you intend to keep it. And I intend to keep my vow that every time I teach the Bible, I will make it very hard for the women listening to be hearers only and very easy for you to be doers. And so there's probably some do. I don't know what it is. I don't need to know what it is. But there's probably some do. So take just a few minutes to ask the Lord where you're not flourishing and then I'm going to pray over you and we'll get to that serious business of dessert. Father, as I'm praying, I'm imagining that valley of dry bones that you showed to Ezekiel. And you told those dusty old bones to come together and they became life again. And I am sure there are some areas of my life and some areas of my sister's lives that are dry bones. And we maybe didn't even see it till we came in here. Or if we did see it, we didn't know what to do about it. But we believe your word, that the righteous will flourish. Will flourish like those beautiful, majestic trees. So I pray even now and tonight as we go our separate ways and tomorrow as we come back together, that if there are areas of our life that we're not flourishing, that you would expose those in your mercy and you would help us to pay attention for the blinking lights on the dash. It's in your name I pray, amen. We always put our babies together the same way, put our babies to bed the same way. We sing the, not together, we sing the doxology. And so right now in Missouri, what time is it? No, probably not now. It's their daddy, who am I kidding? But (laughs) some point tonight in Missouri, my four sons and my husband will gather together in a little huddle and they'll sing the doxology. It's a good lullaby. So I'm going to send us off with it. We'll sing it together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him.